The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Well, good morning. Uh, thank you all for coming today. Um, I've had a difficult time making this decision about my future, um, but first and foremost, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for this opportunity uh, to stand before you all with my decision. Um, my love for the University of Alabama, our coaches, our fans, um, and, and my teammates has made this especially hard for me. I have had the advice and counsel of my parents, my family, and coaches in going through a, a thorough analysis of the, uh, of the alternatives. And without further ado, uh, with lots of prayers, thoughts, um, and guidance, I have decided that I will be declaring and entering the 2020 NFL Draft. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to a, a glorious Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Arteaga. I have Simon Clancy here with me. I have Chris Kaufman here with me. And where do we begin? We have everything to, to I guess... Just bask in the glory that was this weekend. Of course, Tua Tungavailo declared today, but the Patriots are also dead. Before we get into all of those things, Simon, talk to us about a great sponsor of ours, BetDSI. Yeah, BetDSI are back, and I apologize. It's live, and it's 3.02 in the morning, so um, I'm not fully complimentous. Um, BetDSI are back. They are our partners, have been for a long time, probably 18 months now. Um, and there is so much good sport coming up, be it the National Championship game next weekend, uh, be it the NFL playoffs, which were superb this weekend, uh, be it Wilder Fury, if that's your thing, be it which team Tua will end up going to, whether Joe Burrow will be the first pick in the draft. You can do all that with our colleagues at BetDSI. And the best thing is they have a reputation of more than 20 years of excellence. And you can, you can essentially play win and get paid anytime anywhere they've got a mobile interface and even better still if you use the use the code yards 101 that's yards 101 you will get all sorts of fantastic goodies uh, people will know that you've come from us to them to our colleagues at bet dsi so use it win get money just you know pay your bills betdsi.com okay I'm betting, I'm betting that we're going to talk a lot about Tua Tungabailoa starting right now. Uh, Simon, you saw the – I'll start with you first. Uh, you, saw, you saw his I – guess, I guess you could call it uh, – it wasn't really a press conference. He answered – well, yeah, he did answer a few questions. What did you make of it, and what did you make of the whole run-up to it? I thought the overwhelming sense that I got from the press conference was a – one of what a fascinatingly interesting talker he is, what a great flagship he's going to be for a for a franchise, uh, what a great figurehead he is for Alabama. And two, what an overwhelming sense of probably disappointment I think I got from him in that I think he wanted to stay at Alabama. 
Um, and the realization is that the injury and the everything that goes along with it kind of meant that he's his hand was slightly forced, I think, a little bit. Obviously, it feels like he got good news from the doctors in New York on Friday, which we knew the run-up to it. I mean, look, I've been reporting and, and we'd reported for seven days, pretty much, that we thought he was going to go back. We were told by uh, numerous sources that he was leaning towards going back, and that was confirmed by Tua on two separate occasions today, then by Ian Rappaport afterwards. Um, and then, you know, he, he changed his mind. And... Um, you know, it's a lot of money to turn down. The injury risk was huge, you know, vis-a-vis losing huge amounts of money should he get hurt. So, you know, I, I, I felt like he, you know, it feels like there's a sense of relief, but I kind of felt like a sense of disappointment in a way that some unfinished business that was left on the table at Alabama, which is what I was told was a huge reason as to why he was potentially going to stay. Um, but he's out, and now we just got to make sure we don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Chris. I was struck. He sounded really sad. You mentioned he it, did. Simon. He sounded really sad. He sounded disappointed. And uh I think that you could you could feel it that he he wanted he probably wanted to make a different decision, but ultimately I mean they they said it on on various sports programs and such for days and days to his heart it says that he probably wants to go back to Alabama and and they kept banking on his head eventually you know kind of making the decision based on business reasons and um and that ended up happening that's exactly he pretty much confirmed I thought that um that maybe things were looking one way last week and then and then they were looking a different way toward the end of the week and and during the weekend and I think that we're that foots with what what Simon you had been hearing and um, what we had been hearing all together, and it also foots with what Alabama program had been. I mean, they were there was a point in Alabama program were like putting out gifts like we were, <laughs> you know, like when, yes. when we found out that when we we found out about four o'clock yesterday that Tua was coming was going pro, and um, and immediately we started you know, putting out putting out the suggestive gifts and stuff like that on Twitter. And, uh, and there was a point when Alabama were doing that <laughs> because yes. they were like, yeah, he's coming back. You know, you, he's, and all these guys are coming back. I think that was before the game. And Tua mentioned that, you know, some of the guys, um, you know, they kind of had an idea what they wanted to do, but also they were like kind of thinking that the game would have a lot to do with it. Like how, how good they did it or in the game, how well they did in the game would have a lot to do with their decision um it kind of sounded like he was a little bit disappointed in some of the guys not deciding to come back like mm-hmm. like maybe that factored into it like he wanted to lead a group of guys to go back but that sort of disintegrated and um and i think that that uh that might have even factored into it so yeah i think he was i think he really ha- i think he had it in, in his head that he wanted to get the band back together for one more shot at it. Cause I think, mm-hmm. I think this season was pretty tough for him to take. And for that matter, just look at Nick Saban's face in these last few press conferences, the man beats Michigan. And then you look at his face after that game and he looked devastated. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it looked shaky in this press conference. I thought he mm. did. Right. And, and look at all the accomplishments that he mentioned were all like long-term accomplishments uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, he could see that this was, you know, this is a pretty important, one of his best classes that's leaving. Mm -hmm. And as far as getting back to to Tuatunga Bailoa, I think that he wanted to get some good news because you never want bad medical news. But I really think that he was thinking, you know what, I'll get the band back together Mm -hmm. one last time. And then, as I was told, and I told you guys on on Sunday around 4 o'clock, all the advice he got was, you know, go pro. And some of that advice came from Nick Saban himself, who advised him to go pro. Yeah. And I think his family played a very large part of it after all. Yeah. Yes. So if you're thinking about getting the band back together and now there is no band to get back mm-hmm. together because they're all, you know, headed to the NFL. And now the band leader, Nick Saban, is telling you, you know what? I don't want to, you know, not that I don't want you to be the lead singer, but, you know, it'd be good if you went and became a lead singer somewhere else. Then, yeah, you know, there's only one decision to make. And he made it. And I thought he was, I thought he was really, really impressive as far as yeah. the way he speaks and the, the way he thanked everybody. He didn't miss anybody. Leatherwood and Devonta Smith, the two that are returning, aren't they? Everybody else is, right. apart from Najee Harris, who hasn't made a decision yet, but everybody else is out. Yeah, and everybody um, considers Najee to be going, going out, mm, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So, and that, yeah. again, that was what we were told, wasn't it? We were told that, that, that Devonta Smith was probably going back. Ruggs was dependent on what happened to Tua and his decision came out after mm-hmm. Tua's did. So I think that probably certainly played heavily into into what he chose to do. And we were told pretty much everybody else that came out, Wills, we knew was going to come out. Uh, we knew Judy was coming out, but, you know. That well, Xavier, like Xavier McKinney might have been McKinney. a little yeah. surprised. Um, yeah. He could have he could have stayed. Dylan Moses certainly stayed. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I sh- I I share your you know kind of what you think about how it played out. I, I just think it's um it's an interesting. There's it's such a weighty decision, and there's so many interested parties and stakeholders in this uh in this decision by him that it was back and forth and he he described it in in detail during the um the press conference that it how much it went back and forth and um and you could tell during it that he was he was probably ultimately a little bit disappointed that this was the (laughs) that this was the decision but that doesn't mean it's going to continue like that you know he's going to be looking for the next challenge and we'll see how the how the medical stuff goes he put a lot on the three-month checkup uh which is not you know obviously it's not happened yet it's going to happen sometime in february i guess um so he put a lot on that and you know he seemed to downplay which is an interesting juxtaposition with what ian rapaport reported later on uh he seemed to downplay the 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 checkup he did in New York on Friday, Tua did, mm-hmm. and um, because he you know everything is about the three month checkup ever you know as if that one the Friday one didn't matter, and whereas Ian Rappaport afterwards he reported that um, you know Tua's checkup went swimming you know well and uh, and that he got three thumbs up and you know stuff like that and. And I wonder about that. I wonder if that's a little bit of an exaggeration coming from to his camp um, because it's not what he sounded like in his press conference. He sounded like everything was about faith and, and that everything's about this three month checkup. And, um, and he didn't like, he seemed to almost deflect on 
what on how's how's the hip coming along you know he seemed to be um trying to dodge it a little bit yeah and uh we do have uh, some more information today uh he did sign with lee steinberg so now it is official there's no such thing as going back now because yeah. he's as of right now disqualified from returning to alabama uh, did you guys find it interesting, his choice in agent, Lee Steinberg, a guy who's rebuilding his his career after his famed bankruptcy and his uh, rather you know public issues in the past? Do you find that odd, strange, or right in character with Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Simon? Oh, I think it's um, – I, I think they, the, the family, you know, if what we know about the family bears weight, which I'm sure it does, they will have done their – very, very much due diligence, due process. We have spoken to people, you know, they would have spoken to Nick Saban, obviously too has said in his press conference, he's spoken to Nick a, a, an awful lot. Uh, you know, and good for Lee Steinberg. Look, you know, it's good to see him back on the, um, it's good to see him back on the, the, the major stage after the, the issues that he had. And, um, you know, I can't think of a better agent to, you know, to, to deal with them, um, to deal with Tua. Yeah, and you got and you got to think, and you got to really be happy for for Lee Steinberg. Uh, this is a guy who had seri- a serious bout with alcoholism, and was arrested in 1997 for a DUI, and it essentially began a spiral in his career where he be- started to lose clients, notably Troy Aikman at the time, and you know he's it's been a long comeback since 2012 where he's slowly built. His, his client roster, and uh, most notably Ben Roethlisberger signed on. But now he has, I would say, I'm pretty sure that Joe Burrow is, is a pretty good prize, but, you know, marketability, I would say this is the prize of the draft. Uh, can you think of anybody better to represent in this draft, Chris? No, than I mean, I, I, I listen, I don't know agents like I know players, but, um, but Lee Steinberg is, has a history with quarterbacks. I know that. Uh, and, and this is, this is yeah, but probably. I'm asking, I'm, ask, I'm asking, did Lee Steinberg score the best? Oh, did he score the best? No. Yeah, I mean, did he the score the one, best property the number one overall, the, No, the number one overall pick is going to be, is going to be the number one property for, for any agent. Um, you start there. Uh, and I think, you know, cause this, you have to think about it from a business standpoint and there's a reason that Tua is not going to go number one overall. Um, and it, ha- it has to do with his, me- his medical and the fact that Joe Burrow played really well feeds into it, but, um, but there's significant risk with Tua because and now Lee Steinberg is going to probably be on the hook for quite a few expenses with Tua Tungavailoa before the draft even begins. And then he's going to get you know, a, a rookie contract and we'll see what that rookie contract is. Um, but it's not going to be as much as the rookie contract that Joe Burrow gets. And, uh, and Joe Burrow has with a cleaner medical history and he has, he has a greater shot of getting to that second contract clean. And so, I mean, ultimately speaking, you would probably want to be the number one representing the number one pick and the guy that doesn't have a scratch on him. And, um, and so Lee Steinberg gets, instead to a tongue of Iloa, who's going to be a challenge for Lee Steinberg. I mean, he's got a, Lee's got his work cut out for him. He's got to try and preserve to his draft standing and appeal to teams and work behind the scenes. And, um, 
and really try and uh, try and make sure present him a certain way and decide, you know, make decisions about what he will do and not do what he'll try to do and, and not try to do um, controlling interviews, controlling everything to try and preserve his draft standing as much as possible, because there is a chance with these uh, the series of injuries that the first contract is all that I hate to be macabre about this, but you know, there's a chance that the first contract is all that Tua ever sees in the NFL. I don't think it's a great chance. I think that other people probably overplay their hand a little bit when they're talking about the chances of Tua getting hurt uh, right away in 2020 or um, in this first contract. But yeah, ultimately if, if you're Lee Steinberg, you'd probably prefer to be doing Joe Burrow, but if you are Tua Tungavailoa, then the, the reason you appreciate Lee Steinberg getting him is because, you know, he is he is back on this path, getting getting back to the top, and um, and he has this history with quarterbacks. He's gonna ha- he's gonna work really hard on this, mm-hmm. and um, and so you're gonna get you're gonna get Lee Steinberg, you know, kind of at his best. Also, you know, he represents Patrick Mahomes too, so um, you know, it's it's. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, I guess aura about that um, too, so it can't it can't hurt. But uh, but it's going to be interesting uh, this draft process for him. I think it's going to be quiet for a while, but then it's going to start to get buzzy a little bit later on. I think. A couple interesting of- for him to say as well, wasn't yeah. it, that he thought he'd play this year? You know, that he wasn't ruling out mm-hmm. getting on the field yeah, this season. Right. Yeah. That, that that was big as well, and also the fact that you know he'd clearly been talking, he'd clearly been sounding out NFL general managers, and I'm absolutely certain that that, that Chris Greer would have been one of those, Steve Ross would have been one of those, and you, you know, I'm surprised even he if it was admitted that. Yeah, so am I. It was yeah, interesting no, I thought it was interesting that he said he many. Said two, and then he caught himself and he was like, whoa, I think I outed these guys. And then he says, oh, too many. <laughs> I think he was joking. I think he was, I think he was making a pun right there. Um, but he said, interestingly, at the beginning, it was, it was not just general managers. It was owners and general managers he said yeah. he talked yeah. to. <laughs> And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, who was on the sidelines of the Citrus Bowl? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, sitting on the Alabama sideline, even though he's basically like a de facto Michigan owner. Uh, yeah, he's Steve the owner Ross of is. the Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, uh, he was on the Alabama sidelines with Chris Greer, who could not watch Justin Herbert play in the mm-hmm. Rose Bowl because he was at the Citrus Bowl watching Tua Tungavailoa not play. Right. <laughs> so, um, so that was – I thought that was significant. I thought that was – an example of Miami putting on, you know, showing their commitment and doing their part to try and um, to try and coax Tua out of this this thing that he was in, where he he wanted to come back. And I, I think they're not they're not deaf and they're not dumb. You know, they they had to have heard. If we could have heard it, then other people could have heard heard it because Tua, I don't think, was being tight lipped about it. I think he was. I think he his heart was he wanted to play, and I think he had told people that. And um, and so Miami put the, you know, they went they went all the way with him to try and uh, to try and coax him out and show that they're they're interested, and um, without giving him any promises, of course, because they can't. That would be irresponsible. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, and and who knows? Maybe it worked. Maybe maybe it was a deciding factor. Maybe that presence on the sideline, yeah, was a deciding factor. A couple more inter- interesting things from the from the presser. Uh, he was asked by uh, one of the Alabama beat writers if the 
the supplemental draft was a consideration. He said if if it came to that, he would have come back. So yeah, yeah, you know, he was eyeing the the proper NFL draft, the 2020 NFL yeah. draft. Yeah. Another thing, he mentioned a mechanism where he can put on uh, private workouts with the teams before the draft, which was also interesting, which suggests that he's not going to participate at all in the, in the combine. Well, he was, he was debating whether to do a pro day or not. Yeah. Yeah. Pro days to talk about. And, and I don't, I don't think that's feasible to be honest. I didn't Mm -hmm. from based on everything I hear, um, you know, I'm not even sure he'll be throwing by then. Uh, So I, He'll definitely be in the combine when he for interviews and, and things like that. But uh, beyond that, I, I doubt he'll do a great deal. Yeah, I think strictly for interviews at the combine. Yeah. Like, I don't even think he'll submit to the medical stuff. I, I wonder if he'll even submit to the medical stuff at the combine. Um, I, I wonder. I suspect he won't. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, so. and as far as the, the, the Wonderlick, uh, he's not going to weigh in either because I think he's lost a little bit of weight since the season. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think people care about you know the the thing about being in Alabama is you've already done these weigh-ins and these measurements yeah, exactly several times and in fact recently he did one and what was yeah, the, six what, one what the two height? six one six one two twenty eight he was it was like it was like six oh five eight or something like that like right. um like five maybe five eighths of an inch or something like that and yeah. and what was he like two hundred and thirty pounds two twenty eight I think he was yeah uh, two twenty eight yeah he, he's he, you know he's He's got weight on him, and um, yeah. and actually, if anything, people have accused him in the past of having too much weight on him uh, on himself. So I don't think he worries about weighing in a little underweight. It's just not appropriate either because he's not going to be anywhere even close to playing shape. When I tell you something, you don't. I tell you something you don't see with him, which is what um, a lot of people on social media will who've seen like two games of his and then will say, oh, yeah, he's too small. You never see him having passes back and down. Never. I don't think I can recall him having a pass knocked right. down at college. Uh, Justin Herbert, who's six for six, I've seen him have passes knocked down. And I think in part it's because of his ability to manipulate the pocket, to move his feet, that just that, that elite foot quickness that we talk about, mm-hmm. where he's just able to just to move the pocket uh, and throw off different platforms. That is, what make, is part of what makes him so good. But I can't recall ever seeing him have a pass knocked down. I've always felt that was a big misconception that people have about passes getting knocked down being related to height. Um, so much. Yeah, as me too. It's feet. I mean, it's all feet. And, yeah. And Tua, yeah. if there's, if you had to say one thing about Tua, like what's the one thing? Why? Why is he so good? Name one thing. And it is feet. It is feet with Tua. He wins yeah. with his feet. Uh, and it's it's not just it's not just um, that he has quick feet. I mean, he has some of the quickest feet into his drop back and his whole process with his feet from the um from the toe up is so fast but he also uses the feet so intentionally and um and so uh and so like i mean there's a plan there to use the feet he manipulates the defense with his feet and um and that's that's what you can do as a quarterback you can manipulate the defense with your feet i mean there's a there's a good matt waldman video it's not actually on to to a tongue of ilo but it's on jake Fromm, another another really advanced quarterback prospect who's got to make his own decision. I think he'll go back to school, but uh, how he manipulated the defense in the red zone to open up this tiny little window of space. And, and a lot of people are like focusing on the eyes and, and the pump fake, but it was really the feet. If you look at the drop and what he does with the exact foot placement uh, Tua does that. And, and that's, and you wonder how the, these guys get open 
at Alabama. And it's because he uses his feet. He uses his feet um, to, to open things up and to, uh, to fool the defense. And they don't know where, where the ball is going. And I think that that's that's the one thing that I would point to probably most. I don't decide what what's the one thing about Tua that you would say, yeah, to, okay, just just one bullet point. Why is he generational? You've you've called him that in the past. Yeah. Why is he Why is he that guy? God, it's, uh, I mean, his accuracy. He has elite accuracy mm-hmm. at all three okay. levels of the field. He has there a tremendous go. deep ball thrower. Yeah, mm-hmm. people have said, oh, he doesn't have arm. He, you know, his deep ball is so accurate. I mean, I think that's one that you, you can't teach that. You can't teach accuracy. You can make, you can improve it a little bit, I think. And we've seen some of those improvements with Josh Allen, the, the Bills quarterback. But mm-hmm. I don't think you'll ever see it at a level that, you know, everybody's completely happy with. Um, but with Tua, it's just... And, and that, that comes a lot of that comes from what we've just been talking about, the footwork. The footwork yeah. sets up the elite accuracy. It's part of that process. But he just has that his ability to read the field you know people talk about again it's such a boring argument that people say oh he only throws screens and he only does this and you know to, to all those people justin herbert through 30 his completion percentage was up significantly this season 30 percent of his passes were screen passes he was the, the most of anybody highest, right yeah it was the fourth highest of anybody in mm. college football this year um which you know people don't talk about that whereas two mm. i think was something like 27th highest right um, but um yeah, I mean the accuracy. I just think is is just on a different level. And just the his ability just to see the field, his field vision, combined with what he's able to do with his footwork in that two and a half, three seconds that he has in the pocket, that just sets him. That just sets him apart for me. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Actually, that particularly the deep ball, like how he hits him perfectly in stride. Like when you see that happen, that's like so incredible when you just hit because we've seen tons of deep balls right i mean but hit him perfectly like that that's the difference between a 35 yard gain and a a 65 touchdown but his setup to pass i think that his uh the way he sets up to pass and his ball handling is what sets him apart i think especially in this class and in many other classes and uh watch him throw a screen Uh, watch him throw a screen watch other guys throw screens and if you notice a subtle dif- difference and that subtle difference in your head gives you a one or two count or maybe even half a second, as much as half a second, all of those things matter. All of those things matter to the timing of each play. And his ball handling is the best I've seen since maybe Peyton Manning, maybe. Mm. People, also say, people also say about, oh, he only throws screens, which we've already talked about. You know, and he's just... The, the thing is, the ball has to get there because if if Terry from Frisco knows that exactly, if Terry from Frisco on Twitter knows that 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 he's throwing a screen or that he's throwing one of those you know um, middle screens, then you can be pretty sure that Dave Aranda or you know whichever defensive coordinator he's going against, you know Brent Venables or whoever, they also know that's coming because if if Terry from Frisco knows then Brandon Venables knows, and yet the ball still gets there on time. It still gets there perfectly in stride. It, uh, that's the reason that Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith and Jerry Judy are able to take those 50, 60, 70 yards. It's not because they're incredible athletes, which they are. It's the fact that the timing of the play, the timing of the throw, the manipulation of the defense, and the fact that the ball is getting there absolutely perfectly in stride. I think, you know, I think Alf... Alf hits the point actually that it's that it's there just slightly like a portion of a yeah. sec early 
it's mm-hmm. earlier than other guys because his feet are so quick coming out of the and drop. Accurately. And accurately. And accurate. Look, wow, the accuracy yeah, so is perfect. True. But, I mean, you know, a, a normal play where the ball would be on the receiver in, like, say, 2.5 seconds with Tua sometimes is there in, like, 2.2 or something like that and and that can really mean the difference of on, on a window on a, on a closing window it really means the difference because it's not just you know also the ball speed is good too but um but i think that timing with how quick his feet is how quick his process is and but also it's such a tired argument simon how many times how many times do you see these guys say this about Tua in uh, 2019, the slants and stuff like that. And you're like, have you guys even bothered to watch 2018 when everybody (laughs) was criticizing the other way? Like, oh, all he does is just throw vertically to these guys that are open that are, yeah, you mean vertically, perfectly in stride over and over and over again, which is exactly what it's literally people that probably watched Clemson in the national championship game, maybe yep. the SEC title game when he got injured, when he was injured right. with, the, with the leg and had to come out and Jalen Hurts came in and then probably the LSU game when he was hurt this year and still had a tremendous, you know, th- final three quarters after he, you know, got his feet back under it, got his sea legs back under it. That's pretty mm-hmm. much what they saw. They hadn't watched anything else, anything else. And, and, yeah. and that's, that's absolutely fine. But don't pontificate about how you think a player plays when you've watched one and a half percent of his throws. I, to I, me, that just makes no sense. I appreciate how he's had to change his game every single year because his offensive coordinator has changed every mm. single year. Yeah, and we talk about like you know Josh Rosen, like oh, how is he supposed to catch on when his offensive coordinator keeps changing, his coaches keep changing? Well, you know, two of his coaches changed three times in three different offenses, and he's excelled in each one. And that was the you know that's the difference. Like these, he was. The quarterback he was in 2018, the sorts of passes he hit in 2018 are nothing like what he was doing in 2019. He had to remake himself as a quarterback in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, which used a lot of West Coast principles, and he did it, and he, and he got even better. He was an even more efficient quarterback in 2019, if that can be believed, because he had set an NCAA record in passer efficiency in 2018. He was even more efficient in 2019 uh in the new offense and you know learning a completely new offense and while so that's that's the excuse for all these other guys and it doesn't matter for him he just you know he adapts yeah and uh i've had my my bouts before with qbr and not liking how espn uh touts that stat for the pros but for college i tend to give it a little bit more weight because i think it's a you keep the biases out because you know how many you know crimson tide you know, lackeys are in the ESPN stats and info department. You know what I mean? So they're going to be, they're going to be a little bit more, since it is a subjective stat, they're going to be a little bit more discerning. They're going to, it's going to be, I think it's a little bit more honest. Well, Tua Tungavailoa, in essence, retires from college football with the highest QBR in the history of that stat mm-hmm. since 1994. And that is saying something. Okay. Now, what do we think now? I mean, we've talked about not messing it up now. This is the big issue, isn't it? I think, you know, in terms of those mm. teams behind us, Carolina, Jacksonville, the Chargers, sure. six, seven, and eight. How do you think Miami plays it now? Do you think that they get aggressive like Philadelphia did a couple of years ago in bringing in Carson Wentz when they jumped up with us to eight and then mm. got up to two? Do you think that we just, you know, do we think that if the, because I don't think anything's going to happen until. 
you know, probably the second hip checkout, which will be, I think Albert Breer said something like 14 weeks maybe mm. um, since the injury. But if he gets the kind of the all clear from that point and everything's looking good, I think at that point you're going to have to wonder about whether or not conversations are going to start. Do you think Miami just plays it cool, sits at five and just waits? Or do you think they just make an aggressive decision? Because it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like Washington's going to give up Chase Young at two. No. I don't think. Mm. So then at that point, you know, Detroit on the market, you know, Detroit could certainly use Derek Brown, Akuda, you know. Um, well, I'll, but I'll Andrew Thomas, the, they, they need Andrew Thomas, yeah. I'll look into the but future. I'll look into the future for you here. I believe that what's when all is said and done, what's going to happen is the Detroit Lions will get offers. But for the player that they're going to need to make their playoff run next year, it's probably going to be like an Andrew Thomas or, or Akuda something like that, and they can't get that player if they're dropping down to where the Chargers are. So mm-hmm. I think we'll be approached, and I believe it'll cost us a second-round pick to move up the two spots. I think it'll cost more than that. You look at the Jets, really? and they, had, they, moved, they moved from six to three, and it cost them three second-round picks and, uh, in order to get Sam Darnold at, uh, from uh, moving from six to three. So I, I think it's the bets are off on the trade chart and trade – you know, chart, whatever that people go off of when it's a quarterback. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows there's a premium involved there. And Miami will know that too. And I think that when they talk to the Detroit Lions, I mentioned on Twitter, there's there's connections there. And it's not just Brian Flores and Matt Patricia, as everybody already knows about. It's also Bob Quinn, who was in the yeah. Patriots front office as Patriots, a regional scout. Yeah. For four years, while Brian Flores was also a scout in that front office with Bob Quinn, so um, they have a relationship there. Bob Quinn was also hired. I know I said before on Twitter that he was hired by Bobby Greer, you know, Chris Greer's father, but I, I don't know if Bobby did the actual hiring or whether um, whether it was Pioli. Uh, there was sort of a little bit of a battle going on between Bobby Greer and uh, Scott Pioli in that first year. It ended up and ended with Bobby. Uh, stepping away from the Patriots after the draft, but at least for those first in that winter and um, and spring, uh, you know, Bobby Greer and and Bob Quinn knew each other um, and worked with one another. So there's a lot of connections there between everybody in the Detroit staff as well as Miami staff, and so I expect there to be enough rapport that. Detroit will be able to say, you know, hey, listen, we're looking at, we really want Jeffrey Akuda or Andrew Thomas. And we think we can get them at five. We also think that there's a possibility that we can get Andrew Thomas at six. And, uh, and here's what the Chargers are offering us. You, you take it or leave it. Um, you're, and I think that Miami's going to be in the position of control no matter what. They're going to be in the position to say, Yes, Tua comes to Miami for this price, or no, Tua does not go to Miami because we said no. And um, and I think that that's that's important. They're in a position of control with Tua Tungavailoa. I unless I mean the only thing that could throw a monkey wrench in that is if Cincinnati goes haywire and, and takes Tua instead of Joe Burrow, which I don't think there's much of a shot of happening with that injury risk uh, with Tua Tungavailoa. So no. Miami is going to get him if they want him. And I think they want him. I think we all think they want him. Mm-hmm. So and th- that's what I take from it. Um, and I think that the price, you know, you get geared up and get ready to, to not love the price because trading up for a quarterback, which is historically what you've got to do, it's look back in all the drafts, everybody trades up for their quarterback target. It, it costs. 
And, um, and so, yeah, I think that if they do have to go from five to three, it's going to cost, it's going to cost them at least the 39 pick. Um, and, and probably more than that. Okay. Now we already talked about the mechanisms as far as like getting him. And we all agree that that's who we want, but is it really only the Detroit lions that we're dealing with? Or do you think that the Washington Redskins are in play here? They won't want to give up chase young. He's too perfect. Everybody. That's the most perfect thing in the draft really is, is chase young in Ron Rivera's defense. I don't know what you, Simon, what, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think they're mad to give up. And unless somebody's getting an absolutely massive haul, but you're going to lose the player that you essentially want to build your defense around. You know, mm-hmm. especially, with, you know, Ryan Kerrigan getting older and, you know, you want to pair him with Montez Sweat. And, uh, and you know, you imagine you have Sweat and Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and, uh, and uh, Chase Young on that defensive line. I mean, that's one of the best young defensive lines in the NFL, straight off the bat. Um, you know, I, I can't see that Ron Rivera was, is going to want to give that up, especially a guy that had, you know, Julius Peppers, mm-hmm. who drafted Brian Burns last year. You're going to want that guy. You know, they, they look at the investment they made in the defensive line with Starlo Tulele and um, mm-hmm. the other big defensive tackle in um, in um, in Carolina. I, I can't think that they're going to want to give up the opportunity to draft someone like Chase Young and pair him with, with Sweat and those guys that, that play interior defensive line. I just don't see that as an option for them. Let me ask you a question, though, um, Alf and Simon. And and this is sort of an offshoot, and I realize this is a tinfoil hat. But, um, okay, it's weird as I think about it, and I hadn't been thinking about it, but Chan Gailey hasn't been announced or official yet. Um, it's been a week. And which it mm. seems a little odd. Uh, the only thing that came out, you know, Black Friday happened. Chad O'Shea was dismissed along with Dave DeGuglielmo and uh, Tony Oden. And the Dolphins immediately put out a press release saying that these, these coaches have been dismissed. The next morning we find out about Chan Gailey, but we found out from sourcing. It was, mm-hmm. you know, ESPN Rappaport says this. And the I was looking at the Miami Herald article and it was actually – the Dolphins, according to multiple sources, the Dolphins are close to reaching an agreement for Chan Gailey to come out of retirement to be the offensive. Well, that hasn't happened. And if anything, if any, if we've seen anything with this Belichick tree or really the Parcells tree, um, it's that don't count your chickens <laughs> before no. they hatch. Because listen, I mean, Greg Schiano is the defensive coordinator of the of the Patriots. Oh wait, no, he's not. Brett Bielema. Bielema is the defensive coordinator of the Patriots. Oh, wait, no, he's not. Uh, Bill Belichick is the head coach of the Jets. Oh, wait, no, he's not. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's until you get them on the dotted line. And the reason I ask this is because we're in a position, unique position, to know that last week, early last week, when Chad O'Shea was fired and the talk about Chan Gailey happened, Tua was probably of the mindset that he's returning to Alabama. And a lot of other people around that situation were of the mindset that he's returning to Alabama. Now that Tua's in the fold and Miami's in a position of control, is Chan Gailey your number one option for establishing the offense that Tua Tungavailoa is going to inherit? Or, you know, could you make a pitch at Joe Brady or something and say, hey, come home go from Joe Burrow to Tua Tungavailoa. And, um, you know, the next – they even made an explicit 
reference to Drew Brees at Alabama that he compares to a left-handed Drew Brees, who Joe Brady has experience with. I don't know. What do you What do you think? I mean, is there a curveball happening with Chan Gailey because he hasn't been announced yet? I don't know, but it, it is it is something to think about because they have not announced it really, and they it's haven't. been a week. It has been a week, and not only have, has it been a week, but all the beat writers seem to have penciled them in, and yep. there is nothing, absolutely nothing, from social media from the Miami Dolphins or on their website or from nope. any any of their 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 media people. So, like, why are they avoiding? And maybe Changeli hasn't really agreed yet, and they just offered know. him the job, and he's more. Have to do over. with the offensive line coach? I don't know, but also like, there's there's Jerry Shaplinsky and Jim Caldwell, and like maybe they're trying to figure out what their roles would be and the power share and, and and whatever. I mean, it's it's complicated, and I wonder why. I mean, it's been a week, and, and I would expect it, you know shit or get off the pot. I mean, I think the most fascinating thing for me about Changeli is the, you know, obviously the, the 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 spread formation that he likes to use with the with the four. I don't want to say receivers because that's a bit of a misnomer. The four players he he has at the, at the out wide. Obviously, I think what you'll see is a lot of three receiver, three pure receiver formations, and Mike Gesicki. And uh, I think this offense will be huge for Gesicki, but uh, it does remind me of. Back in 2001 or whenever it was, um, when it came to drafting Drew Brees, uh, Changeli uh, said that he believed that Drew Brees was too small to be an NFL quarterback. Now, given what we've talked about, given the obvious uh, correlation between Drew Brees and Tua, um, does make you slightly nervous about what Changeli... I know the NFL has significantly moved on since that point, but it would make you slightly nervous about Chan's opinion of what Tua Tungabalo would be. I think the other thing potentially would be that, you know, they've talked, Albert Breer talked today about the reason that he, uh, his understanding was that the, the offense was just very, very complicated. The players found it very difficult to, to pick up. And I think there's a, a question of making it a little bit simpler um, and also getting Jerry, Jerry Schlepinski away maybe from that Patriot way of offense and sort of, I suppose, with with a view to him taking over in a year or two years' time as the offensive coordinator, which I think is probably the plan, um, and kind of having him integrate some of Chan's offense and some of his own ideas from New England and, uh, and moving it forward that way. Um, uh, that, to me, would seem like a, a, a sort of a positive move forward. But it's fascinating to see, you know, like you say, it's been a, it's not been announced. But I can't believe that so Tom Pelistaro and Rappaport and people like that would, would get this one so far wrong. Yet the Dolphins haven't made any sort of announcement. And I wonder if it, I wonder if they're trying to keep a lid on it until Josh McDaniels is is named as head coach somewhere. Um, and he announces his, you know, his staff. Because it looks like Kevin O'Connell, the former quarterback, will be his offensive coordinator, uh, de facto offensive coordinator. But I think they're probably trying to protect Schlepinski and just keeping things up in the air potentially uh, around Gailey and not really coming out and saying anything just in case you know McDaniels wants to to, to take Jerry away and um, uh, and put him in the Cleveland offense or the Carolina offense or wherever he ends up. Just to, and just to add, I mean that 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 particular note about Gailey believing that Drew Brees is too small uh, way back when Drew was coming out of the draft. Uh, you know, it, it it brings back it brings it back to I wonder if the Dolphins. I know that the mood within the building, or at least I had heard that the mood within the Dolphins building was that 
was building towards Tua appears to want to go back to Alabama. And something clearly changed late last week. Well, late last week isn't when they started talking to Chan Gailey. Okay. Clearly that they started talking to Chan Gailey when at a time when Tua was supposed to be going back to Alabama. And so that makes me wonder about it. And it's not that Tua can't play in Chan Gailey's offense. I just wonder if it's plan 1A, you know, if, if you know that you've got Tua Tungavailoa uh, in your back pocket instead of trying to make a future with, say, Jordan Love or Justin Herbert. Uh, because I know that when the Gailey thing came out, those were the first things that came to me that struck me as guys that would be good in Chan Gailey's offense is, is Jordan Love first. And, um, and then also, you know, Herbert probably could fit in there as well. And now that two is in there, you're like, I, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It, it might be something to revisit. But it's probably going to happen anyway. Chan Gailey is probably going to get hired. I just it's tinfoil hat, as I said. I just I wonder. Yeah, although although I will say this, if it comes down to the front office, we do know they were really enamored with with Baker Mayfield, and they really had no issues with Kyler Murray. So, so maybe the the size issues don't mm-hmm. extend to. Yeah, the, the league has changed office. so much since since that point, yeah. since the Drew Brees point, hasn't it? I mean, yeah, it's been a long time. Well, guys, we've done 118 of these episodes, and maybe on six of them, I've proclaimed the Patriots near death or on death's door. Well, I think we have a cadaver on our hands here, and I'll go ahead and say it. It's over. It's, it, it lasted 20 years. It gave them nine Super Bowl appearances and six championships. And they were the bane of our existence, but it's over now and it's dead and it's dead and buried and it's dead and buried due to their quarterback being completely washed up and over with. And it had to do with, you know, 43 years. It's a long time. It's a long time not to be on this earth, but it's a long time to be playing quarterback in the NFL at 43 years old. And you saw it on that game on Saturday night. Uh, He can't complete simple you know, 15, 18-yard passes. He just can't get there. Everything, he was killing ants all day. It's over. I'm glad it's over. Your thoughts, son? Do you know what? I slightly disagree with you. I think, um, I, I, I'm sure it probably is over. Uh, it's an aging team. You know, I think um, the majority of their starters are 29 and over. I read today with Peter King, but it's clear that Brady wants to come back. It's clear both from Brady's interview with Peter King in the locker room afterwards. It's clear from... Peter King's interview with Robert Kraft that Kraft would like to have him back and also I think that there was just a huge disservice to Brady in terms of the lack, complete lack of weapons you know that they placed around him Nikhil Harry w- was not ready to, to step in and play a, a, a major role Julian Edelman dropped a, par, a key pass at the weekend they obviously you know Rob Gronkowski and pre his Killing days. Aaron Hernandez with you know were phenomenal tight ends. You what can't line, replace. What a line that yeah. is. You can't replace a Hall of Fame tight. I think they had. Did they have four hundred yards out of the tight ends this season? They, they even traded Jacob Hollister, who turned into turned out to be a pretty decent weapon for for Russell Wilson down the stretch this season. To be fair, they did um, sign Antonio Brown, and then Antonio Brown. Yep. Had his. Yep. But you know Matthew Slater. Uh, Matthew Slater. Um. Uh, Mohamed Sanu didn't play particularly well. Um, the kid out of NC State, the, the, the kid Jacoby Myers, you know, looks like he's got something there, but but just dropped too many passes. And it was clear that Brady wasn't getting 
you know, they had the opportunity, for example, to trade for Emmanuel Sanders mid-season and didn't do it. The 49ers pulled that off and it's turned into a pretty shrewd trade. I just feel like it wouldn't surprise me if they just loaded up with receiving talent in free agency and came back for one last run because it kind of feels like Brady still has something to, to go for. I'm going to bail as well, boys. All right, <laughs> All right cheers. Um, to tack on to that, um, I... Th- it's hard for me to imagine Tom Brady retiring on someone else's terms and on, on a bad note. Um, it's tough. I think that we could be in line for sort of a, um, I don't know, a butting of heads of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in new England. Uh, if that makes sense, like if, if, like maybe Bill Belichick is going to be like Dave Wanstat with Dan Marino, like sort of, I don't want to call him. I don't want, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And Robert Kraft is going to have to try and be and play the delicate balance between those two, because if there's one thing that Belichick doesn't like, it's, it's losing. And, uh, and he's just lost a bunch of games down the stretch with Tom Brady who couldn't really hit passes. But at the same time, listen, as much as I want to, criticize Tom Brady those players were not open like no ever I mean I mean sometimes but I mean just not open double teaming Edelman and what basically just killed them because nobody else could step up nobody could get up Brady kept saying you know speed up your process get open quicker and 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 do things the way that they're they're used to, and these guys couldn't do it. And then they they would put Bray or Edelman on the outside to try and free him up that way because it's harder to double team him. Tony Romo made the observation many times in the game, but it's also harder to hit Edelman in you know because he's a small guy. Um, it's harder to hit Edelman when he, when all of a sudden he's playing on the outside, and maybe he's not getting open as easily uh, on the outside either. So I don't know. I just didn't see people open so I know it's hard for me to say that he's absolutely done when I just never saw people open and also they didn't protect the passer very well this year um and they didn't they didn't have much of a pass rush either but they didn't I mean if you look at like ESPN's um pass block win rates and stuff like that uh they were not protecting the passer very well this year it's it's hard if you're if you're Tom Brady, you've got an argument, right? You've got an nobody was open. Y'all couldn't protect me. Um, let's get this going. Make some changes. Get some better pass protection. Get some get guys that can actually get open, and then we'll do this again. We'll we'll, we'll get going here. And meanwhile, you know, Bill Belichick might be saying, "Well, yeah, but also Tom, you can't run, and you misfired on a bunch of throws, and I think it's over for you." And um, and that could be the the conflict this year, and we'll see how it plays out. It's going to be fascinating. It's probably going to be bloody, um, and we're all going to love it. <laughs> yes, we are. And I don't know if you <laughs> saw that press conference after the game with uh, with Tom Brady wearing that, that ridiculous blue thing on his head. It looked like he had a <laughs> deflated football under that beanie. But if you watched him, everything was past tense. I love playing here. I love playing for, for Bob Kraft. I love playing for this coach. I love playing with these players. I love playing on this team. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is not a – he's not a dumb guy, okay? Mm-hmm. Tom Brady, we could accuse Tom Brady of many things. He's not dumb, okay? Yeah. He seemed to be choosing his words very, very wisely. And but, but who takes him? 
Uh, that's know? the thing. Like, you know, uh, the Colts have a, a ton of money that they can spend. They could just say, you know what? This is our shot. You know, send Jacoby Brissett anywhere for a third or fourth round pick. And let's yeah. roll with Tom Brady. And let's try to win a Super Bowl this coming year. We have $50 million in cap space. Let's get him some some more weapons. He already has enough there, I believe, because they have a pretty good running game, good offensive line. T.Y. Hilton is, I don't know if he's top 10. Yeah, well, you know what? I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. He's a top 10-ish wide receiver. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, you could, you know, you have enough money that you could augment that, that whole receiver core to Tom Brady's liking. I think the Colts is a great destination for him. What about what about what? Um, remember when Dan Marino did this? Uh, yes, uh, the Minnesota Vikings came up. Yes. That was that was going to be his destination. Yeah, and, and uh, throwing very throwing to very Randy similar. Moss and very and, and yeah. Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. I mean, they got they got Kirk Cousins, and obviously they got through this game uh, against the New Orleans Saints barely. Um, mm. There were some heroics. I don't know if. You know, I don't know how many people are still enamored with Kirk Cousins there or not. Uh, I think that if they get blown out of this next game, then they won't be. <laughs> um, yeah. So I wonder, like, you, this is certainly is a better cast in Minnesota with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen than what they're dealing with in um, in New England. And he ha- he would have to think this is a ready-made team I could step into. Yeah, uh, of course. Take uh, the wheel. Uh, who's to say, you know, Tom Brady, in essence, uh, you know, he doesn't have a house anymore because he put it on the market, and I, I believe True. it's ready to sell. And Giselle owns a house in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So you have a Charger team that, by all accounts, is pretty talented. And if we're going to talk wide receiver cores, that's a good one. Because mm. very, very quietly under the radar, Mike Williams is a hell of a wide receiver. And they already have yeah. the best route runner in football, in my opinion, in Keenan Island. Yeah, that, so, that's fair. That could be a know? good, attractive, and everybody's and that's a team like. that needs to sell tickets because they're going into a big, giant stadium in a year. So, yeah. I think what, that's attractive to him. Are, is that giant stadium in London? I don't know. Well, for for the, for one year for sure, it'll be in Los Angeles. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. but after that, all bets are off. Although their owner said, "Look, we're not going anywhere. We're we're sticking here in Los Angeles." You know, but I'm yeah, pretty sure he said that they were sticking in San Diego one time before before that. So I don't know. I think that one makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. That they they were a darling before the season, and yeah. um, they just had a really but, rough patch this year. Not, and not sure, Phil Rivers was really the problem there. Um, yeah. I think maybe that could that could be that could happen if say, you know, if, if let's say Phil Rivers just decides to hang it up, mm-hmm. you know, and so they've got an issue. They have no quarterback now. Um, then yeah, you could be like, hey, Tom Brady come on down and um and then they won't even be looking for a quarterback at that sixth pick because that would probably be part of the deal where tom brady's like no you don't use that sixth pick on a quarterback you gotta we're we're trying to win something right now yeah um it would make some sense yeah i was listening to another podcast and not that i listen to other podcasts you know for football other than this one Every once in a while, there's a podcast comes around that I just find, you know, compelling to listen to. And it was the Bill Simmons podcast, 
titled is the Patriots dynasty dead. So obviously I had to listen to this. Okay. I wonder why you listened to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So imagine, imagine yourself in this space with two Patriot fans arguing kind of hurt. Like you could, you could sense the pain in their voices for an hour and a half about how this thing could possibly end or how it could possibly go on. And they came to the conclusion that where Tom Brady could end up is Tennessee. Oh. Now, two plus oh, two. Oh, man, I don't know. Two plus two. If Tannehill absolutely craps the bed this week, yeah, is that a team that just looks around and says, look, we got the running game. We like our offensive line. We have some good defensive players coming back. Vrabel, you have the Patriot connection there. Vrabel, that's the that's the real that's the real wild card, isn't it? Yeah, Uh, you know. So, could you be sitting there and and, you know, who wants to have the cap situation where you have to pay Derrick Henry, and that's the heart and soul of that team, and Ryan Tannehill? Like, that's a lot of money you're going to shell out. Yeah, I wonder if Tannehill's really going to rake them over the coals or anything, though. Uh, Yeah, that's the thing, um, right? They might. And there's a lot of people out there that still believe that uh, that the reason you draft the quarterback is to get him on that rookie contract and do as much damage as you can for the first five years, and then and then once you pay them, then it's over. Like it's pretty, it's pretty much over. Um, a lot of people do actually believe that. And in um, in Tennessee, if they do they do buy that, then they pay Tannehill, except not pay him like 30 million a year maybe more like you know 17 18 19 or 20 or something yeah, like just that try to repeat his older contract right exactly and um and just and, and just try and build the team around him and continue to be good and and we'll see how good they do christ if they get in the super bowl <laughs> in miami with ryan Tannehill at the quarterback position oh my god i wouldn't love that why would you love that that's the oh, that's Oh, I would love it. Uh, just to, you know, uh, look, no matter how well he played this year, and in my opinion, he was one of the five best quarterbacks in football. Yeah, no. This season, itself. this season. So before anybody jumps on, down my right, throat on right. Twitter, I'm not saying he's the top five quarterback in the NFL. I think he had a top five quarterback season this year. Mm-hmm. Okay. If he finds himself in the Super Bowl, good for him. Like, you know, I think it was over here. You know, his time was yeah, done it here. Was. Uh, is he a guy that did anything? Did you know anything cross with us? What you know? He's not a sound wide side. He's not. He's not even Ricky Williams. No. Okay. No, so, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't burn any bridges at all. Um, he was, this he, would be. He was generally a good guy here. My not wanting him to do this, like go to the Super Bowl or anything like that, is, like, look, is the only just thing purely, that me, purely out of jilted. Jilted. Look, the only um, thing that bothered me ex- with Jason Taylor, okay, was that he went to the Jets. Yeah, well, but when they were in that AFC Championship game, I was like, Jesus Christ! If these people go to the Super Bowl, but it, the only the reason it was bothering me is because it was the Jets. Mm-hmm. But Jason Taylor leaving here and going to the Jets, I had no problem with that. They didn't offer him a contract here, and this is a guy yeah. that was coming off a of Defensive Player of the Year a couple of years before, and now all of a sudden he's not getting an offer offered a contract here, and he's crossed with the with the guy that was down here running the franchise. So, yeah, you know, there was nothing wrong with it. Although No, I, I I totally buy that. We all said it was time for him to go. None of us really thought – I mean, none of us thought he was a bad quarterback when healthy. He was average. Um, 
He was he Mid-pack. was average average to you know sometimes even a little bit better than that, and it did kill me a little bit. And everybody was like, you know, oh, Josh Rosen's going to be so much better than Tannehill. I remember people being like, oh, you're just being stupid if you think that Josh Rosen isn't better than Tannehill. I was like, what? yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, that's Rosen. That's a different story. But yeah, I, I guess I would be a little bit. Listen, I mean. What we've been complaining about for 20 years, that we don't have a quarterback, and and then the guy we get rid of turns into this, you know, almost MVP caliber type quarterback and takes them all the way to the Super Bowl. I mean, that just just put some ice, put an ice pick in my eye at that that point. Yeah. I mean, that's that's curse, that's curse city right there. I mean, that's that's terrible. I I would hate to think about that. I would hate to have to live with that. Um, I think that. Uh, you know, I do wish him the best. I like him. He's I've always liked him um, yeah. that they way. Had a but... stat. They had a stat that was so good on the on the broadcast, and I can't quote the stat. I should have I should have wrote it down, but at that point, I was like, you know, I was maybe fourteen beers in. Okay, mm. but uh, they had a stat that between twenty passes and thirty passes, Ryan Tannehill is essentially the best quarterback in the history of pro football. <laughs> <laughs> between past twenty and thirty. Yes, if he in games where he throws between twenty to thirty passes, okay, uh-huh. and they were saying that it was you know obviously it coincides with his with this run with Tennessee where he's not throwing it fifty times a game, he's not throwing it forty times a game, he's throwing it in you know nice little sweet spot between twenty and thirty times a game, yeah. and if you go by that, he's top three in yards per attempt, he's number two in quarterback rating. And I think his uh, his touchdown to interception ratio was like a ridiculous nine to one or something like that. Yeah, so yeah, he was essentially one of the best quarterbacks in the history of pro football. He played <laughs> he with Gase. Gase, and one one thing that Gase could do is actually, you know, he he'd heat up the offense uh, as you go on the game. I mean, first quarter was always terrible. Yes, and then second quarter a little bit better, and the third quarter is the best, and fourth quarter, you know, nearly as good. Um, so, I don't know if that's a Tannehill. It wasn't always. It wasn't always just a Tannehill thing because he he did. Gase showed the same tendency with that offense, even when Tannehill was injured. Um, but still, I mean that that marriage made for that trend pretty easily, and that's where he gets into trouble. I think with the Tennessee Titans is um, he doesn't do enough in the first part of the game, and then when they do lose, you know, he didn't do enough in the first part of the game. They got behind and him coming back and starting to do better in the third, fourth quarter, it's too late. Uh, that's that's where they thing. get into trouble. Tennessee's demise is imminent and not because of the, the opponent they're facing, because I think they, they can beat the Ravens, but they won't. I don't believe no. they'll, they'll beat the Ravens. But I Well, think if anybody could do it, it's Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator. Um, yeah. But still, no. Yeah, the but I think their demise is imminent for one reason, one reason alone. You saw them coach a bit scared on that Saturday. Mm-hmm. You have AJ Brown; he's getting locked down by Stephon Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore leaves the game for the concussion protocol, misses seven snaps. You know how many passes they threw in those snaps? Seven snaps, one, and they mm-hmm. threw no play action passes, and they took no deep shots. As soon as I saw him leave the field. I told the people that I was watching the game with, okay, here come the deep shots. And everybody's like, I don't know. Everybody wanted the coach scared, you know, because they're just looking at the scoreboard and they're saying, no, just keep running it. And they did not take a shot. You don't coach scared. Scared money don't make money. 
Chris. We all know about that. Yeah, you also have Derek Henry. You, know, you also have Derek Henry. You have to consider that. Yeah, you know, and your yeah, Derek Henry was that was insane. He's a monster. What was that tweet that you know he plays like he plays like the opponent opposing team's parents are gonna demand his birth certificate. Birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and he he does, but. Well, let's I don't, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I don't know. I, I was looking at this earlier, and I was kind of like, you know, there's the quarterback thing, and we always get obsessed over, but also pass rush and pass protection. And I was looking at the um, the pass rush win rates and from ESPN, and I, I do I do like the way they've set that up. Um, Tennessee doesn't rate as well as as I might have thought that they would, but they're pretty good for this field of playoff teams. Uh, the Bills were really good, but they just don't have the – you know, Josh Allen is not ready yet, if he ever will be. No, he's um, insane. Also. And, I mean, he, the, the decision-making at the end of the game was just abysmal uh, with the, the sacks who, that he was who taking. Who the hell throws a 60-air-yard bomb uh, the double coverage to a fullback? Yeah, um, well, that and that too. But, um, and yeah, the, the, lateral, the decision The lateral was just genius. That was just genius. You know what was bothered me about that was that was clearly set up. Like the the tight end was stalking him for that lateral. Like that was yeah. a set play. Like that they coached that. Yeah, and but that's it, weird. Then it ended up looking like he threw a live grenade because that tight yeah. end ran back and tried to bat that thing out of bounds. It was hilarious. Yeah, no, that was weird. Um, so yeah, that that was boy was that bad coaching. It compare that with the um the coaching at the end of the Tennessee New England game with that was just genius with, with Mike Vrabel and the you know using Belichick's tricks against him you know um, what was genius that you was genius. i love the best out of that not only you know the, the patriots are you know dead but mm. bill belichick was furious oh he was furious he was so mad and he kept talking to the officials and he told the official and you see he, you see him talking to the officials like don't they have to snap it here like yeah he was he actually arguing the calls. like he just he just literally did that earlier this year yes and then and then of course new england goes off sides and mm-hmm. i'm like do it again kill another yeah, two right minutes. i know right <laughs> yeah it's well they couldn't anymore because the five no. minute mark came but um but yeah it was it was it was funny like it was he was kept calling it bullshit on the side <laughs> like you could see his lips and it was like you did you did that earlier this year you did the <laughs> yes. exact same thing and you smirked he smirked like you could see the cameras he's like laughing he's smirking about it in the on the sideline when he did it that so was it was it was great but the, the coaching decisions at the end of the i'm back to the point the bills actually have good pass protection and good pass rush they have the good differential um but they don't have the quarterback but the the teams that do have the quarterbacks and the good pass protection and the good pass rush they're the baltimore ravens and the green bay packers those are the teams that you expect in the super bowl this year um but surprisingly the one that you know may might not check any of these boxes as well as we thought is the number one seed in the nfc i actually kind of wonder if the san francisco 49ers are going to disappoint a little bit in the in Mm -hmm. the playoffs um and I, i you know i'd be curious about that seeing uh Tennessee has has a chance, a legit chance to surprise somebody, um, but it's just not going to be the Ravens. <laughs> yeah, they could. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know, what, if it were like the, if, if were the Chiefs, maybe yeah. that that game could go any number of ways. Yeah, like but, what does um, a, a win? What does a, a Tennessee Titan win look like? And I think it looks ugly. I think it's mm-hmm. you know, bad weather, and then 
uh, I think maybe an injury. You draw the Kansas City Chiefs somehow into an ugly game, and then yeah. the, you know, and that's not what the Chiefs the Chiefs are able to do. I think that's that's the win, the upset win for the Tennessee Titans. I don't think it's a Baltimore Ravens win. You know, I mm. I think that Baltimore Ravens play can can take their game and do it better. Yeah, what um, was interesting about the Tennessee Titans is that they they went toe to toe with Kansas City earlier in the year. Right. And, and I think that would have been perfect if they got matched yeah, and up. And the difference in that game was actually Ryan Tannehill outplaying Patrick Mahomes, which was yeah. odd, but it was actually commonplace this year. <laughs> but, you know, Ryan Tannehill with a running game, we've always said it. Yes. Uh, you know, forget about what you're doing with the receivers, um, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, whatever. Just get him a running game, and you know what's going to happen. He's going to mm. do well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, right. that would have been the that would have been the potential upset if Tennessee get, gets to go against Kansas City, but them facing the Ravens that's going to be a buzzsaw. And um, you know who knows really with the the Houston Texans and and uh, and Patrick Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson. I mean, they can both do the same things. Uh, I'd probably edge goes to Andy Reid for his coaching offense, but but then both teams can make really bad decisions. I think Bill O'Brien can make yeah. can make awful, awful decisions. I think that's the that's the one that I'm pretty I'm pretty certain on. Out of all the games this weekend, that's the one I'm the most certain on. What? That that Houston will win? Or no, that, that no, Kansas that, City uh, that Kansas City, that Kansas City will win? That oh Kansas really City will beat Houston handily. Yeah. That's the one that okay. I'm the most confident in. And you would all say, right. Oh, you just finished telling me that you don't see the Titans winning. Yeah, but there's some variables there that I think uh, you know, first time well, it's not a first time, but it's a second time quarterback in the playoffs in in Lamar Jackson. We saw him yeah. last year, the hard time he had against San Diego. And yeah, but that was at the big. He came on them like like uh, like a freight train at the end of that game. Yeah, but we remember uh, yeah. if you remember that game plan, what it was like. It, it was, was a rookie. Run, 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 killing time, and then the game got dirtied up. And next thing you know, there he you know, he's on the wrong side of the scoreboard. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. I think that they're both. I think that they're the the Baltimore Ravens can play like the Tennessee Titans, except do it better. And yes, I agree with that. I, I think that that's the that's the the edge here. And I think that Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson looked like a rookie in his in his first playoff game for probably like what three quarters of that playoff game, and then came on them like yeah, came on them like a freight train at the end of the game, and actually kind of made it interesting toward the end, and mm-hmm. which was kind of incredible. And so I think that that's all the experience he needs. He's not he's not going to play like an ex, an experienced player anymore because that's already out. Yeah. Um, so you know that's the team I would go with that's going to run through their opponent like a buzzsaw. And I think that the interesting game could actually be the Houston Houston Kansas City game because Deshaun Watson with his scrambling heroics versus Patrick Mahomes and his scrambling heroics it, you could walk in you can end up with a shootout before you even know it in that game like a real a although real Kansas high City's, scoring although Kansas City's defense has come on the last few weeks of the year yeah they're playing, I, they're playing a lot I don't know if I ever buy it with the with that defense but um and Frank Clark is getting to the quarterback a lot oh yeah yeah Frank Clark is good Chris Jones is good yeah um 
So, so they're, they're they're improved. They're, you know, they're a little bit improved. I, I just – I like their disposition going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Now I really like it because of who they draw, who they drew. Okay? Because yeah. Houston's still the same team that was down 16 to nothing to the Buffalo Bills mm-hmm. at home. Okay? And they're still the same team that, you know, essentially the same team that lost 21 to nothing the year before. So they have a, a pretty bad playoff streak going for them. So I don't, I don't know if they're going to all of a sudden just find it within themselves to defeat the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. I, don't, I like the momentum of, um, of Deshaun Watson, the way he picked up at the end of this last game. And oh, I, like I think that's, that sort of, that sort of thing carries over. I don't think it resets. I think, I think the way he started really coming on at the end of the game and then he won the game with the, by being a hero, mm-hmm. um, I think that carries over in the next game. I think before you know it, you're in, a, you're in like a shootout. And after having a week off, you hope if you're Kansas City that you're ready to keep up and make every drive count like that. Yeah. Um, and so, so we'll see. I mean, maybe I can be completely off here. <laughs> I am uh, 61, no, 62% this year against the spread, picking every single game in the NFL for the entire year, I just have to say. Yeah. Um, so – Anyway, well, I was yeah, nineteen and six on the on the three yards per carry account. On all right, you you only had to pick you only had to pick twenty five games. I picked two hundred and fifty six, <laughs> two hundred and fifty six games, and I was sixty two percent. That's like a banner. I retire. I'm retiring after this year. Yeah, yeah. I'm not uh, well, never going to pick. Let, again. Let's just I don't say this: ruin it. had you put that into into actual practice with real money, you would have made more than maybe ninety five percent of all the hedge funds in the world. Don't remind me. <laughs> okay, so you would have hit somewhere around nine percent, ten percent return on all that. Instead, so you would have beaten most. Won, you would instead have won my pool. <laughs> yeah, you would have beaten maybe. You know what? Let's go ninety-seven percent of all the hedge funds. If you're pulling nine to ten percent, yeah, yeah, you would have done really, really, really yeah. well. Okay, You've you could have opened your own hedge fund and just call it, you know, NFL against the spread fund. I was feeling good about how I did. Now I feel really bad about how I did. <laughs> All right. Now let's just get out of here very briefly because we mentioned it and there's, you know, we got to mention it on the pod before they do what I think they're going to do. And that's Derrick Henry. We know you like Derrick Henry. We talked about oh, it on yeah. Twitter a lot. We've talked about it briefly about, you know what, let's just go nuclear and just sign Derrick Henry. Uh, Look, let's, let's let's just put put this out there. If I had to bet, I would say there's virtually no chance he makes it to free agency. I think he I think he gets signed by the Tennessee Titans. As soon as they get eliminated, I would look for, you know, 4 or 5 days and there's his new contract, okay? But let's say by yeah. the by the rare shot he makes it to free agency. You're probably going to have to pay him maybe top 3 money at the position, if not maybe top 2 money. So mm-hmm. you're thinking somewhere around 75 million, maybe 55 million guaranteed, something like that. That's steep. Do you do it? Do I have to give him all that money in one year? <laughs> well, um, you, well, look, I, I don't think that 55 million is up for debate. I think that's, you know, yeah. I think that's the starting point. You know, normally I'd be like, avoid that like the plague. Uh, But Miami doesn't really have anywhere to see. What I'm worried about is Miami doesn't really have very many places to put their money except on the sort of the guys that they have right now, which I think played. I think it's sort of like, remember the Heat 
yeah. and and how they'd find they'd flip over rocks and they'd find guys and then and then it's like you know that wow that's really cool that you managed to find these guys and then they paid them <laughs> <laughs> yes. and then it yeah, was that's like what we're supposed to do yeah and and it was like ooh, you know so so this money that Miami has available under the under the cap, I mean, they could do a number of things with it. And and one of the things that they everybody would say is, oh, why don't you just pay the guys that you have? Well, the guys that they have, I mean, they played well, they were coached well, and they they did all right. But I, I still don't think they added a bunch of talent with, say, Nick Needham or um, you know, some somebody like that. So they they need to acquire talent you, you do it dur- during the draft usually um you don't get very good returns from acquiring talent uh from outside your program via free agency the veteran guys you probably expect only 30 to 50 cents on the dollar worth of value um from from those guys because you're gonna bust on those guys all the time and so that that's a conundrum um but at the same time you've got all this this money available and eventually you're going to lose. I mean, you can't just keep roll. You can't roll over a hundred million dollars into the next year. So I think that they've got to, they got to use it and figure out places to use it. And they don't have enough good players to use it on. uh, And they also don't have enough draft picks to, um, to handle all of their holes and get all the talent in the places that they need to get. So, you got to find somewhere you can use it in free agency and be relatively certain what you're getting. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, well, maybe an elite running back, you're pretty certain what you're getting, yeah. you know, Derek Henry, maybe, yeah, you pay, it's a sticker value and it's really high, but you know, a guy that can run to daylight is a guy that can run to daylight. Usually it's not, I don't know if it's going to be dependent on the system too much. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially now that Chad O'Shea's gone and he's not, you know, it's it's might be a little bit different with the the passing game and the running back position. I don't know. So so there's worse things to do than to just throw the money on a guy like him, like Derrick Henry, and then reserve all the other positions for keeping on, you know, drafting him and trying to find the homegrown, you know, really talented player that is worth paying at the end of the line. Yeah. Um, I think that that's, that's, there's some thought to that. Normally I'd be like, Oh my God, you're going to pay a, a, a bunch of money to a running back free, yes. you know, free agent. That's the worst thing, but it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense when you got this much money burning a hole in your pocket and all you really want to do is be able to find a way to use it and not have it be a total waste yes. um, and preserve your draft picks for other positions. And how sexy would it be if you have an all Alabama backfield in Tuatonga Bailoa and Derrick Henry? Yeah, I mean, and, and also, I mean, with Derrick Henry, you know, he's I think, or at least I think, anyway, he he's like good guy, like he's good soldier, yes. good player. I mean, this is not like Lavian Bell, who I think has some issues. Um, so you're safer that way, I think, with him. So yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> I loved him coming it's out. Not your money, I loved right? him coming out. It's not my money. It is not my money. I, I will emphasize that all day. And it's not your money. Like listeners that'll argue yes. with it, it's not your money. <laughs> no, it's you not. Know, don't, don't take such great offense to it. It's not your money. It's yeah. not your tax dollars. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but also how much how much I, I loved him anyway coming out of Alabama. I don't know how much you did, but 
my God, this guy for for me it was Ezekiel Elliott and um and Derrick Henry as sort of like one A and one B. Well, I'm a big I was a big Ingram fan. Okay, uh, Derrick Henry, I thought he was just a hang. Ingram was he in? The, he wasn't in that draft. No, he was the year before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was a huge out of all the Alabama running backs. The one that I liked the best was Ingram. I thought he was going to yeah, be a superstar, was... and I think he's been okay. But you know, yeah. I thought he was going to be better oh, than been, okay. He's had a he's had a better than okay career, I think. Yeah, I actually thought he was going to be a guy that was going to run for fifteen thousand yards in his career, but you know that's not going to happen. But he's had a good career. But yeah, Derrick Henry, obviously, yeah, he's he's star quality. He would be a really sexy, sexy signing for the Miami Dolphins. Well, guys, last week we gave you a megapod. This is even a bigger, bigger megapod, okay? Because I think this one ran a little bit longer than last week's, but we had a lot to talk about, and we gave you a lot. You asked for a longer podcast, you got one, but that's it. There is no more. We will talk to you guys again next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.